Yeah, I really think of selflessness first. Um, us growing up and not having much, there were some nights when we didn't even have enough food for the four of us. And my mom would try to like inconspicuously leave the dinner table without us noticing to leave whatever food we had available there for us. Uh, and fast forwarding, and I know we're gonna get into this, but fast forwarding, when I got into the military, there was an officer, I was at, as a matter of fact, we were at West Point, it's an officer at Buckner that said, you know, if you're a leader, if you're a PL, you're a platoon sergeant, always make sure your men eat first and then you eat afterwards, whatever you serve them. That, and that, you know, in my mind, that's how it always had been in my entire life and watching my mom. Like you always take care of the people uh, that you're supposed to be taking care of first and then you take care of yourself. So selflessness really stands out about my mom. Hey everyone, this is Cal, and I just want to thank you for joining us here today. At Intentional Leader, we help leaders take the guesswork out of self-leadership, accelerate their personal growth, fight a reactionary lifestyle, and achieve their God-given potential at home, at work, and in their communities. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's go make it count. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 81 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. I'm Cal, and I'll be the host for today. I'm really excited to bring you today's guest, the mayor of Shreveport, Louisiana, and my West Point classmate, Adrian Perkins. Before we jump in, I want to let you know that we've been combing through some of our best interviews over the past few years, and we consolidated some of the best takeaways from those interviews into a free 12-page PDF that outlines 12 ideas that we think will make you a better leader in 2022. It's completely free. Just go to my website, calwalters.me, and you'll see it at the very top of the page. We worked really hard to put this together, and we're really proud of it. I think you'll enjoy it. So go check that out today. A little bit about Adrian. So in the wake of 9-11, Adrian accepted a nomination to West Point. And while he was at West Point, he was the captain of the track and field team. He was also the first African-American graduate elected class president in West Point's history. Adrian deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. And after three tours of duty, the Tillman Foundation accepted Perkins into their Tillman Scholar Program, enabling him to attend Harvard Law School, where again, he was elected student body president. It seems like everywhere Adrian goes, he becomes a leader among his peers. Towards the end of his time at Harvard Law, Adrian returned home to Shreveport, Louisiana to announce his candidacy for mayor. And in December of 2018, Adrian was elected the 56th mayor of Shreveport. This was a lot of fun to both catch up with Adrian, but also to learn a little bit more about his story. We explore what life was like for him growing up in Shreveport, the powerful leadership lessons that he learned from his mom. We talk about how he struggled the first time that he went through Army Ranger School. We talk about life at Harvard Law, what it was like for him to run for Senate, and how he deals with some of the criticisms that come from being in political office. I really enjoyed this interview, which is ultimately brought to you by Higher Echelon Incorporated. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm providing human capital and technology services to optimize performance. Higher Echelon can help prepare your organization to meet the rapidly changing, complex, and often ambiguous requirements of today's world by developing resilient and adaptive leaders, helping you modernize and enhance your processes and implement transformational technology solutions. Just go visit higherechelon.com to connect with the amazing team over at Higher Echelon and learn more about how they can help you and your team. And if you enjoyed this conversation with Adrian, please go and share it with someone in your network. You never know who may be able to benefit from Adrian's story. And without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with my friend, 
Mayor Adrian Perkins. All right, Adrian Perkins, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Man, I'm excited to be here, Cal. Big, big fan of the show, by the way, just so you know. Oh, well, thank you, man. Well, that, that's that's an honor. And, uh, you know, it's really neat because I obviously were classmates from West Point and it's been neat to watch your journey from a distance. And so I'm excited to to catch up, but also to share this with the leaders out there that are that I'm privileged to have listen. And uh, I'm, I'm excited just to kind of dig into your story and, and hear some leadership tips from you. And uh, I'd love to start by getting a sense of what life was like for you growing up in Shreveport, where you now are the mayor, which is pretty sweet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> get, paint, like, give us a sense, get, paint a picture for us. What was it like growing up for you in Shreveport? Yeah, very different uh, than my life is like right now. Actually, I grew up in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Shreveport uh, named Cedar Grove, one of the most violent neighborhoods as well. Um, my mom and my father were together until I was about three or four years old. They were on and off, but my father eventually left when I was four. So my mom raised me and my two older brothers, you know, in, in Cedar Grove. And although it was a violent neighborhood, low income neighborhood, I still had great friends in the neighborhood. My mom really tried to insulate us and protect us as much as possible. But we did not we didn't have much, you know, not as far as material things. Uh, and my mom being, you know, the superwoman as she is, she made sure that what we lacked in resources, she more than made up for with the values she taught us. So, you know, when we weren't in a neighborhood running down a street and playing basketball in the street, or whatever, she made sure she had us in church or she was em- emphasizing education uh, and just emphasizing us being overall good people. So uh, I couldn't sing a lick, but she had us in church so much. I was in the church choir. Uh, you, you better believe it. And and also she led by example, too. She was uh, she worked multiple jobs. She would work for the electric company here during the day and then go and clean office buildings at night. So we saw hard work. She earned her bachelor's degree before I even got out of middle school as a single mom. Um, so, yeah, she was just I mean, I had a great example to follow. So, you know, I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood, but my mom did a good job in providing the most wholesome home uh, that I could possibly grow up in. That's we're going to talk about leadership and your take on leadership. It sounds like she was a leader that you got to just grow up observing and watching. And you mentioned that she led by example. What are some qualities about her that really stood out to you? Yeah, I really think of selflessness first. Um, Us growing up and not having much. There were some nights when we didn't even have enough food for the four of us. And my mom would try to like inconspicuously leave the dinner table without us noticing to leave whatever food we had available there for us. Uh, and fast forwarding, and I know we're going to get into this, but fast forwarding, when I got into the military, there was an officer. I was, at, as a matter of fact, we were at West Point. It's an officer at Buckner that said, you know, if you're a leader, if you're a PL, you're a platoon sergeant, always make sure your men eat first and then you eat afterwards, whatever you serve them. That And that, you know, in my mind, that's how it always had been in my entire life and watching my mom. Like you always take care of the people uh, that you're supposed to be taken care of first and then you take care of yourself. So selflessness really stands out about my mom and then just leading by example. Like I said, her going out and earning, earning her bachelor's degree while raising three boys, while working multiple jobs, um, her her faith, just being in the church all the time, uh, just watching how she exercised uh, that faith. Uh, those were the things that really stood out. So selflessness, leading from the front and, and faith is my mom's, I think, strong suits as a leader. So how did West Point come up for you? 
Uh, West Point came up. It was interesting. I my my oldest brother, <clears throat> my oldest brother, by the way, retired twenty four years in the army. So oh. <clears throat> I had some ties to the military through my brother. My grandfather served in the Korean War. My uncle was in the National Guard. So I had some experiences with the military, but I was recruited by track and field, a lot of different universities around the country. I was all state here three years in a row, I think. Um, but the reason I chose West Point, even after they showed interest, because I didn't know much about it. The reason I chose West Point was because 9-11 happened when I was a junior in high school. And I made a decision then that I was going to go into the military. And when visiting schools, I realized that West Point was actually the easiest way for me to run track and go into the military afterwards as a, as a commissioned officer, opposed to doing an ROTC program and running track at another university that was disjointed. You know, the ROTC portion, the military portion is baked in at West Point. And it just seems like, like a much stronger transition. And I like the leadership component of it, going up there and watching those cadets, such like young ages leading one another. I really, really liked it. So, and I thought it would better prepare me to be a better leader in the army too. So that's kind of a couple of reasons why I chose West Point over other places that were recruiting. And then you, you, so at West Point, you became our class president. So the class of 2008 and you, that was the first African-American to be a class president in West Point's history, which is, which is pretty amazing. What, oh, yeah. what did that mean to you to become that? that significant milestone in, uh, in West Point's history. Yeah. I, I got to go back just a little bit to tell you, I didn't know that was the case until way after. Um, oh, wow. yeah, I just, I was just running for, so, so I didn't know much about West Point and out of naivety. I said, well, if I was class president of high school, I'll be class president of West Point. And I was captain <laughs> of the track team. I didn't know that everybody at West Point was class president. Right. So I said I was going to do it and I did it. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, I just like, like leading my peers at that point in my life. So what I found out about it, though, it honestly felt a lot heavier than already the responsibilities felt because you were representing something that's far greater than yourself at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, when people think of African-Americans and barrier breakers, all of a sudden your name will come up in those conversations. And it became a question of not just, hey, how will I lead the class of 2008, but a conversation of, OK, now that I'm uh, not just a leader within my class, I'm a leader within the African-American community. Uh, versus like, what am I going to do with this influence? Uh, so that was always in the back of my mind and always motivating, as a matter of fact, while I was leading at West Point and the things that I've done thereafter as well. I love that you just just went for it. I, I remember, <laughs> I, I can't remember specifically, but I remember the those like hey, people asking like, hey, do you want to run for, not me specifically, but do you want to run for any of these offices? And I felt intimidated. Like it's interesting that <laughs> it's interesting that mindset that you're just like, I'm just gonna go for it. Did, did you not oh, feel yeah. did you not feel intimidated at all? You're just like, I was do this. No, I didn't. I was uh, I tell people this, like I always my life and coming from the background that I came from, everything is icing at this point on the cake. Like I was never supposed to even go to college from the you know, statistical background that I come from. I come from a low income community. I come from a single parent household. Um, yeah, it, like statistics were very much stacked against me to even go to college, let alone go to one of the premier colleges in the country, you know, premier leadership academies in the world. So I have never been shy on taking risk. Mm. I'm like, I'm already here. If I shoot for the, you know, the whole saying, you, you know, you aim for the stars, you fall in the clouds. Even if I fall short, I'm so far ahead of where people anticipate it for me to be. Uh, and I'm still at a great place in life, especially if you're pursuing things for a noble reason. Like it's, it's no shame in falling short. So 
I've always just been audacious when it came to doing, you know, pursuing things that might seem improbable or out of reach. It was just, you know, you need to do it. If, if it's meant to be, I'm a man of faith myself. If, if this is what God ha- is intended for me, then it'll be for me. And if not, then it won't. I love that. So is that how it was for Ranger School? Because I wanted to ask you about Ranger School. Uh, yeah. Did you, so did you, was there a pressure to go to Ranger School or did you raise your hand? Because, you know, some branches it's like, well, like for me, you kind of had to do it as an infantry yeah. officer. Um, for you, what was that like? Is that something you just said, hey, is that, is that another one of those? Hey, icing on the cake. Let me just put myself through yeah. 60 days of misery. Yeah, no. So range, I'm an artillery officer. So no, it wasn't one of those mandatory things, but I'm always looking to set myself apart. And all, but, but more importantly, I'm looking for leadership lessons. And I kept hearing about all the things you learn about leadership in ranger school and you learn about yourself. So that's why I was really, really interested. And it seemed challenging, right? Only X amount of people actually get through. So um, I went for it. Uh, I was like, you know, I raised my hand. I constantly volunteered. And, and I really want to offer this to the audience because too often when people see my story or they read about me on Wikipedia, they don't know about my failures. So I actually went to Ranger School out of uh, Bullet 2, um, right out of our basic course, went to Ranger School, and I didn't make it. I got peered in mountains. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I got peered in dark and then I got peered out in mountains. So I didn't make it, even though I passed all the physical things, I passed patrols, you know, so I got peered and that killed me because I'm mm. the, the class president at West Point, right? I was class president <laughs> of high school. I'm, you know, I, I got a bunch of friends, like I'm a social guy. I'm, I'm always volunteering to help people out. And I could not reconcile what mm. happened in Ranger School with, with who I was. And, you know, in talking about my older brother, my older brother, told me I was insane and an idiot for going the first time. He was like, you were crazy to even do that. Like the people that go to Rangers were crazy. I, yeah, I got to tell you. So when I didn't make it and he was like, I told you not to go, uh, I said it in my mind. I was like, I'm going back. Like I will be Ranger qualified. I will go back to Ranger school. Uh, and he was like, okay, you're even crazier. So I end up after my, uh, my, I went to captain's career course. I went to maneuver captain's career course. I was at Benning. I competed in that class for an open slot. And by the way, I finished number one in our pre-ranger course and in my basic course. So that was, again, this was eating at me that I finished number one. I don't graduate. So I finished number one again in our, in the captain's career course, pre-ranger stuff, go to ranger school. And I was almost at the honor grad my second time going through, but I know I brought a lot more to the table. I was an artillery officer. I had just gone through maneuvers career course. So operations orders were easy for me. And at that time, when I went to ranger school, my mindset wasn't to survive uh, and make sure, you know, it wasn't to just survive. My mindset was you need to thrive in ranger school with every free moment you have, with every free speck of energy you have, you need to be asking everybody around you, is there anything you can do? Mm. Uh, and I went back and, and did really well, got, went straight through that time and, and, and got my ranger tab. and took those leadership lessons to my, my unit with me. And yeah, the rest is history. Man, I love that. And thanks for sharing that, that, uh, you know, quote unquote failure, because you're right. It's easy to look at your resume and be like, good goodness gracious. This guy's just, it literally hits home runs every, at every step of the way. And and I know that that's not, that's not real life. No. Um, and, and I love to just hearing that change of mindset. Yeah. Cause I don't think people appreciate the peer component to Ranger school. Uh, I, no. I don't know if you remember, I, I had a mentor at West Point tell me, 
you know, hey, it's not about just getting through. It's about how you get through. And I remember thinking, like, what do you mean? Like, it is about getting through. Like, that's the main thing. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, you quickly learn, like, the people that you appreciate the most are those people that are selfless, kind of like your mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard to be selfless when literally you are, all you can think about is sleep and food and and yourself. Like, all you can think about is yourself. (laughs) And there's justification to do that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, that's so neat to hear that you that you persevered, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it make it makes sense. So let's talk about Harvard. So you, you go, you, you spend your time in the military, you deploy to Iraq and Afghanistan, and then you eventually make the decision to go to law school. What what drove you to go to law school specifically? And we'll talk about Harvard, but what was it about law school that yeah. was attractive to you? So I really I wanted to go to graduate school. That was that was an aim for sure. So I actually applied to come back to teach at West Point. Um, and I also was applying to law school at the same time. And I was like, I'll just give myself options on however that opened up. You know, in the military, you do your operational time, you take a knee, whether it's trade doc or you know, some career broadening, and then got accepted to come back to West Point West Point. I was supposed to teach economics, uh, and I got accepted to to law school school. At the same time, I got accepted to Harvard and a couple other really good schools. And Harvard was my dream school. Teaching economics at West Point was my dream in the military. Um, So the reason why, I mean, you know, there's a lot of different factors, but I'll say one of the primary reasons why I chose to get out of the military and go to to Harvard was I was talking to a mentor, a military mentor, um, actually taught at West Point. And he said, he encouraged me, actually. He said, Adrian, I would go to Harvard if I were you. It was like the things that would be guaranteed to you at Harvard, if you go to Harvard Law School, um, the military could never match it. You know, the opportunities, the doors that would open for you, the military could never match it. You can stay in the military and you'll very likely be successful, um, but you'll be in this rat race, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, where, the, the you know, you're there is a cap. And he's like, you go to Harvard, there, there won't be a cap. And I, a bunch of considerations, but I said, OK, like, I think that that is. Right. And I was, you know, a couple other factors. I was burned out, multiple deployments, you know, short amount of time. I said, I want to put my energy and effort somewhere domestically, somewhere in the United States, preferably my hometown. Uh, and yeah, when I got that advice from him, I was like, you know what, that's that's the case. Let me uh, let me step out of the military. I've done my time. Let me see what what Harvard has to offer. So I'm curious. I mean, you've been in a lot of elite groups of people. Uh, and sometimes you get to an elite location or place or group, and it's almost disappointing as you're like, oh man, this now I'm seeing the reality. Like, but but I'm curious for Har- going to Harvard Law School. I mean, everybody knows Harvard. Everyone knows Harvard Law School. Uh, was there was it? Did it meet expectations for you? It did. It actually okay. surpassed expectations. Oh wow! To be honest. and let me let me let me. Let me let me just drill down into this a little bit. Um, the students at Harvard Law School are some of the most intellectually gifted people I've been around in my entire life. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be around, you know, those 20 pound brains and, you know, people that were super smart, very, very cerebral because I wanted to see if I could compete. Right. I wanted to put myself in that audience. I wanted to learn from them. I wanted to see if I could compete with them. Uh, and that's what I anticipated. And I got there. And I mean, it was even more out of this world when it came to that. Uh, and, and let me, and, and I'll juxtapose Harvard with West Point. West Pointers, and you know, the, the, the cerebral part by median isn't as high, very, very close, brilliant people to go to West Point. But West Pointers, 
are more well-rounded, right? So there's pros and cons to all these elite entities and institutions. And you got to know going in what you want to get out of it to kind of set your expectations. Um, and, you know, I'm always thinking from a leader perspective, hey, how is this going to sharpen my tools as a leader? So I went in just thinking about that, those intellectual challenges. And that's precisely what I got out of, out of my classmates. Uh, I got a lot of great friends as well. And I got an understanding of our legal system and our systems, period, our political systems that I, I think is second to none. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, I, <laughs> I bet that's just just so inspiring to be around those quality of people. And, and certainly you fit right in there. And, you know, I, I bet a lot of people coming out of Harvard Law, you probably got a good, not you, but I'm sure there's a lot of folks that have a good bit of debt coming, coming out of there from law school. Um, oh, and there's yeah. probably some pressure to go work at a big firm. Uh, but you didn't do that. You you made the decision at some point. I'm curious when that was to to go back home and run for office. So wh- when did you when did you make that, and how did that how did that decision come about? I made that decision my second year in law school. Uh, I was very end of my second year, so I'd essentially completed two years. I was in my second year, and I ran for student body president. The video that we recorded when running somehow made it back to my hometown. My middle school used it um, on their not uh, open house night. I guess trying to create a correlation that if you go to my middle school, you'll go to Harvard Law School. <laughs> I mean, come on, why not? <laughs> little, yeah, little pipeline to Harvard. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the video started to circulate around town and it went locally viral. And I had really always kept relationships, close relationships at home. Uh, I came back pretty much any leave I had from the military. I was coming back, visiting family, visiting friends. I was volunteering. I was donating to nonprofits. I was always putting a lot of energy. So I had a bit of a skeletal structure of people and uh, entities that I'd already been keeping in touch with. And when that video started to go viral, people started to talk. Uh, My best friend is an attorney in the city. Um, He was like, hey, man, you know, what are your plans? When are you going to come back home? You're always telling people you're coming back home. When are you coming back home? And I was like, well, I plan on being at a corporate firm for a while, I'll come back afterwards. And he was like, the way people are talking, you should come back right after law school. And I was like, I don't know about that one. <laughs> like that, that's a lot to ask. You know, I'll be giving up a lot. I don't know if the city is ready for me uh, just yet. And he was like, and, and, and he got some other people to call me too, some other politically active people in the city. Um, and I said, I'll make a deal with you. I'll go to the law firm. I'll see how it is. And then my third year, I said, I'll do an exploratory um, campaign. So my third year of law school, I was actually flying back home a couple weeks out of the month mm-hmm. and talking to just everyday citizens in Shreveport and asking them if they had an appetite for change, telling them what I was what interested in. And uh, I'll be honest, they had an appetite for change. They didn't necessarily have an appetite for me. You know, they were like, how old are you? Are you old enough to run for the mayor? Are you too young? You know, what, what civic experience do you have, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, but I enjoyed it. I loved it. Hearing people's stories, hearing people's aspirations, hearing people's hopes for the city, their hope for the next generation, their children, their grandchildren. And I love my time at the law firm that I was at. I absolutely loved it. Uh, but the time at home was way more fulfilling. Uh, mm-hmm. My purpose, I felt like I was walking in my purpose literally when knocking on people's doors and talking to citizens. So I told my best friend, I was like, all right, man, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the trigger on this and I'm going to do it. So my second semester, I was primarily at home in uh, Louisiana. I would fly back to Boston in a week or two out of the month, uh, knock out classes, do what I had to do. But, you know, the campaign kicked off my second semester. So essentially my third year of law school, I was running for office 
And uh, four years, four months after graduation, I got elected the mayor of Shreveport. Were those the main objections? Were you just being young and having limited experience or, or did you get some other pushback? Yeah, it, not being in the city for mm. uh, what, 13, 14 years. Mm-hmm. Of that. I left for yeah. West Point and I hadn't been, I hadn't lived in the city for 13, 14 years was an objection, but a rebuttal that just quieted all that down was I was fighting wars. You know what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, who's going to fight war? Like, you know, I went off just gallivanting through Europe or something or hanging out with my friends and just wasting time. I was, I was defending our country, you know, and I was getting a legal education. It, it seems like that would be one of the hardest things about politics is, is dealing with the critics. Cause you, I'm sure you've got mm-hmm. critics out there that are, maybe party driven or there's something driving the criticism and it's probably maybe hard to get to, to get the truth out there. Something like that. Mm-hmm. of like, ah, he's, he's been away. He doesn't care about us. Oh no, by the way, he's been serving his country, you know, just stuff, little stuff like that. I think that's an example. Is, is that, what are some of the biggest challenges? Cause I mean, also just politics seems like it's ugly and it's hard to navigate and, you know, it, you're dealing with all types of barriers to getting stuff done. Like what are some of the biggest challenges now that you've been doing this for a while to be in, yeah, in politics? The, the, the critics on the campaign trail were just a warm up compared to the critics when you're actually <laughs> governing. Right. I, yeah. it, just, it was a warm up, and I'm glad to have had it. You really got to develop thick skin, but if you're not changing things, um, then you, you know you're not going to have critics. If you got critics, that means you've changed something. And I'm a change agent. I didn't get into the mayor's office just to have things run as they historically have been running and as they were. I got in to change some things to put my city on a path to where we can thrive, to where we can be a lot stronger of a city, a safer city, a more prosperous one. So you know the the critics they're going to come along and they come. You better believe it. But as long as you're walking in your purpose and you know you're doing everything for the right reasons, then it's, it's no need to live. It's just noise. Uh, and then when you get and, and that's not to say I don't take criticism, you know, what I mean, especially constructive criticism. And that's oftentimes what you need to look for. If it's people that are squarely in your camp or people uh, that are that have no political motivations at all. And they're telling you, hey, this needs to change or I don't like this policy because A, B and C. You still need to be open to that. I would say. The number, like one of the best tools I could have developed as a leader is discernment between citizens acting in good faith and citizens acting in bad faith. Hmm. Uh, one of the best tools I've had, I've developed as a, as a civic leader in my community. And it really helps me uh, lead. It really, really does. You, we don't have a monopoly on ideas. We don't have a monopoly on the impact of our policies. You know, I have to be able to step outside of, of City Hall, engage citizens to make sure what we're doing is actually having the impact that we want it to have and, and changes in the lives in a way that we want it to, to change. So you got a lot of leaders who are listening to this conversation, some business, some government, some military, uh, nonprofit space, entrepreneurs out there. What, how do you think about leadership? Like, what are you all about as a leader? <laughs> a broad cloud. I don't know if I've ever been asked about that. I, you know, I think it kind of just boils down to um, those things that I saw in my mom, uh, then like being as a leader, you, whenever you're enacting policies or the vision that you have for whatever entity you're leading needs to be one for other people, whether you're talking about your customers, whether you're talking about whether your priorities, your employees, you know, your, your vision needs to be for others. If you have a selfish vision and it's something that is just for you, I think that is going to fall apart 
rather quickly. I, I really do. I think that's, that's very unsustainable. So I think about my leadership. I think about, all right, I'm leading a city right now. I'm in charge of 200,000 people. Uh, how do I make their lives better on a daily basis? And when I was a company commander, the exact same thing. I thought about my soldiers. I didn't think about an OER. I thought, how can I take care of my soldiers and accomplish our mission? So I, if I could kind of dwindle down leadership into one concept, it's just being selfless and making sure you're looking after others, their needs, their interests, and, and you'll be you'll be fine at the end of the day. I love that. I, in fact, it's it that's been a theme in my life recently because it, you know I think we're all even no matter how self, others focused we are, we all so can find ourselves like that ranger student who's hungry oh, yeah. and you know sleepy. It can be whatever you know whatever it might be. We we can find ourselves being self focused, and oh, I'm yeah. sure in politics, you know, you get so many people who are singing your praises, asking you, telling you how great you are. One of my mantras recently has, has literally just been, it's not about me. It's not about me. I'm here to serve. It's not about me. I'm here to serve. I, I was actually just reading in uh, the gospel of Mark and Jesus was talking about like, who is the greatest among you? It's the servant among you. And I actually, one of your mentors, General Caslin, that's that's where he goes when he talks about leadership. Yeah. And, I, and I see that thread in your life and, and in your leadership. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up General Gaz and just to tell you, I love that guy to death. And he and a lot of other leaders throughout my life are very much responsible for where I am and my leadership style as well. I've been able to brag about my mom, but General Kazan, from the time I was a cadet, took me under his wing. And I mean, anytime I needed time with him, when he was the division commander, when he was back as a superintendent, you know, when he was the president of the University of South Carolina, he always made the time to talk to me and whatever challenge I was going through, whatever uh, you know, help I needed, he made the time for me. And I think about him when I'm mentoring, you know, younger officers or younger people in law school at this point, or younger people, younger people interested in in politics. You always got to create that time to to touch the generations coming behind you. And he set a phenomenal example for me. I have no idea why he chose to, you know, uh, take me under his wing. I'm sure he has dozens, of hundreds of mentees, but. I'm I'm very very grateful for for General Caswell. Yeah, that's such a testament to him, and it's not surprising at all that that's been your experience. Um, well, I want to ask you one final question, and then I've got a couple of quick lightning round questions. But about the the Senate race, he ran for Senate, and um, do you think that's something that you would like to do again, or in the future, or something? You know, some other office? Is there something? Yeah. Yeah, I get asked this question a lot. I'm sure you, you might notice by me smiling. Um, I got to tell you, Senate race, phenomenal experience for me. Um, and I did it for the right reasons. Uh, I was the, the motivation behind it. I was in the mayor's office. We were leading um, in the middle of COVID. We actually were covered in the Washington Post because we were the first city in the country, among the first cities in the country to actually identify that COVID was impacting minority communities, urban areas more than it was affecting others by utilizing technology. Front page of the Washington Post. Um, we made the New York Times top 10 list of slowest viral spread after we responded. We really leveraged our community. We leveraged you know, pastors in our community, nonprofits, the healthcare systems. And we were doing everything we could to keep the citizens in Shreveport safe. But Every day I was still getting phone calls from citizens saying, Mayor, I just lost my job. I have no idea how I'm going to put food on the table. I got two, three kids. Uh, Mayor, I just I have no idea how I'm going to stay in my apartment or I'm going to stay in my home. This is before the housing moratorium. Uh, you know, Mayor, my, my grandmother's in the hospital. 
I, I can't, she's by herself. We can't see her. She's not doing well. And I'm getting those calls just daily. Cause we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of quarantine. I can't see citizens. So I'm, I'm making calls and I'm taking calls myself to keep a pulse on the city. And man, it's only so much of that you can take until you start feeling helpless, even though from your perch, you're doing all that you can. Uh, so full disclosure, I talked to people in a party earlier in the year. They, well, they talked to me and tried to get me to, to, to make a run. I said, I wasn't interested. I was focused on the city. Um, but when that happened, thinking about those offers and more calls started to come, I said, Hey, you know, I want to do more for my citizens and I can do more. If I was in Washington, DC right now, I could put federal funds into this report and I can save a lot of lives. You know, I can save a lot of, I can give you know peace of mind to a lot of citizens and allow them to sleep at night. If I can go and have access to more resources and lead at a, at a, at a strategic level like that. So that's what inspired the, the, the Senate run. Uh, and we fell short, unfortunately, but I'm, I'm grateful for the experience. Whether or not I'm going to do it again, very roundabout way to get to this question. I have, I'm running for re-election next year for mayor. I'm going to focus on being the mayor for, for that full term. Um, and we're confident we'll, we'll get re-elected. I'll focus on being the mayor for that full term. And then I'll, you know, I'll consider whether or not I'll, I'll run for a higher office. But right now, my sole focus is on being the mayor of Shreveport and doing all that I can uh, for the citizens of Shreveport. I love that. And that's like, that's exactly the type of leaders that we need. Uh, I want to ask you two quick lightning round questions. One, what is one habit routine or ritual that has made the biggest positive difference for you? Oh, um, man, that's, can I do it? Is it, it's, it's kind of tied. Can I get, yeah, two? you can, you can give yeah, us sorry, one. Sorry that's okay. You, <laughs> such, a political, such a political guy. Uh, the first <laughs> is, uh, prayer, uh, mm. pray every single day, multiple times a day very, very close relationship with God. Mm. Um, that, that, that is a must. I've found myself way more grounded and I have way more peace when I have a healthy prayer life and two exercise, mm. uh, being an athlete since I was a kid, I've realized my mental health is very much tied to my physical health. And if I'm not exercising, I get really stale. Uh, my thoughts get stale. My attitude gets stale. So I, I have to exercise. So those are the two things. Um, and I exercise probably five, six days a week, depending on my travel schedule. Do you exercise at a certain time of day? So I, I really committed to going in the mornings, but sometimes, you know, if I got, a, I, I, if I got a prayer breakfast or something, this happened recently. If I got a prayer breakfast that starts at six, I'll push, I'll push a workout to the evenings, but I don't, I don't go to sleep like unless I've done some, some kind of physical activity. Last question. I know you have a big heart for young people. Uh, and I, and it's just so cool to hear your story growing up, your mother, obviously where you are now, I love just this idea of it being icing on the cake, but you're, you're speaking to a room full of, of say high school students. What would be one of your top pieces of advice to them in terms of, of leadership and of growth, just, just top piece of advice to the young folks out there. Uh, my top piece of advice for our, the generation coming behind us is to, I would say, to make sure that they're looking out, whatever they're pursuing, to make sure that it's bettering themselves, the people around them, and, and the environment around them. Um, there's a lot of temptations to do things, you know, the hey, I want to make a lot of money. That's something that's very, you know, single, you know, singular or whatever. It's just for an individual. I want to start a company. Uh, I would just encourage them to make sure that they're being conscious of the people around them, the environment around them as they're making their decisions. 
going forward. And I think that will take them farther than anything. Um, you know, your reputation is at stake with it. You don't want a nasty reputation. Um, you know, your morality is at stake with it. Uh, and I think they'll live way more fulfilling lives if they go about things with that attitude rather than thinking on a, on a selfish level. Kind of like projecting my selflessness onto to whatever career paths, whatever paths they want to walk upon. I think if they even have a, a little bit of that, even if that's not what primarily drives them, I think they'll be on a path to success and it won't only help them, it'll help us, it'll help our communities, it'll help the country that we live in. Well, Mayor Perkins, keep up the great work. It's so great to catch up with you. And uh, man, I'm so thankful to have leaders like you out there serving the communities, serving our country and uh, keep it up, man. We're, we're, you we're as well, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm glad to be on. This, this is a great conversation. All right, brother. Well, have a great day, man. Good to connect with you. All right, All right you too. See you, man. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Adrian. A few key takeaways for me. I loved what he said about his mom. It was a great reminder that often the most important leadership roles we play are going to be at home or in our communities and how those those memories, those vivid memories of his mom getting up early from the dinner table and serving them and sacrificing for them still stick with him. And even after all that he's done, he goes back to his mom when he thinks about leadership. I also loved what he said about just when he considers his background and, and maybe what he expected out of life, everything is just icing on the cake. And I think that is a really interesting way to get into his mindset and how really what allows him to have courage to pursue these different opportunities. And maybe we can all learn from that, that instead of being afraid of just saying, hey, you know, if, if this is what God's desire is for this opportunity, I'm going to pursue it. I'm not going to self-select out of opportunities. I'm going to face my fears and, and pursue that. And, you know, hey, if it happens, it's just icing on the cake. Let me know what resonated with you the most. Uh, also, please go check out that free guide that we have for you, 12 Key Ideas to Make You a Better Leader in 2022. I hope you go and make it a wonderful week and impact those around you, serve those around you, as Adrian talked about. Remember that life is short, so let's go make it count.